Welcome to the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. Here, we shine a positive light on fathers of color and seek out their stories of trial and triumph while gaining insight on what it means to raise children in this country we call America. A quote from Dr. Franklin Pittman states, Fathering is not something perfect men do, but something that perfects the man. And now, your illustrious host, Lim Gonzalez. What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Lim Gonzalez, a.k.a. Saint, and this is the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. So as I always say, always have to have amazing guests. Um, today is no exception. And we're in our third season. You know what I'm saying? Third season. Clap it up. Clap it up. You know how we do. Third season. So... The brother here is a social worker, practice coach. He's also an award-winning songwriter and producer. He's founder of the band Lilker Groove. And of course, he's an amazing father. Ladies and gentlemen, Kendrick Dial. What's up, man? No much, man. Happy to be here. Happy to be yeah. here. Man, I'm glad to have you, man. I'm glad to have you. Um, we was just chopping up, of course, offline and just um, catching up. And uh, I really want to get into your profession, um, what you do on your day-to-day, because I think that's really wildly important. But before we get into that, of course, um, first question I typically ask all of the guests on my podcast is, how did your life change when you became a father? Wow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so- Go back a little bit? Yeah, yeah, because my daughter's 15. Oh, okay. So yeah, I'm, uh, I've been been doing this for a little bit here. One of is interesting because I remember- me and her mom at the time when we were together, we were uh, we went to the movies and she was just pregnant. <laughs> and I remember, I never forget, it was the uh, Pursuit of Happiness trailer. This was the trailer, and we sitting up in the movies, and you would have swore I watched the whole movie because I was in there in tears, like <laughs> <laughs> the scene where he's in the bathroom, you oh, know, yes. the door open, and like man, just like the tears, it just hit me. And so, and that was before she was even born. Oh wow. And so it just started to create, a, and I'm a relatively uh, in tune with my feelings type of brother, but just, you know, for the tears to come at that point, it just really started to hit me in terms of like the responsibility of wow. what it means to be a father and then just having my own experience of not having uh, a consistent role model of a father there. Mm. I got a whole dynamic with that. We can get into a little bit later. But yeah, it was just, you know, just kind of realizing that that weight or just that dynamic was very different uh, in terms of having a, a child or getting ready to have a child. So I think all of that was just kind of hitting me. So and just being willing to learn, man. I, I So many times when my daughter has challenged me to take in the world in a different way and really challenge how I might be showing up mm-hmm. uh, or whatnot. Like I'm, I'm not sure if I should say this, being I, I coach social workers, but it was this this time when you know she's little, like two. Mm-hmm. You know, as a father, you want to prepare them for life and things that come. You know, so it made me think I'm kind of tripper. She, you know, she run by and I tripper. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, like legit tripper? Yeah, I was legit. Like, you know, not forcefully, not like that. Just put a little <laughs> in the way so she. And then, uh, you know, of course, you get up and it was just that that space where it was like, yo, I, I don't I want you to be able to, you know, the world knocks you down. You get right back up you know? mm. uh, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to nurture you. But the world ain't mm. going to do that. So mm. but so in that space is that that space of how do we develop our, our children to go out into the world and at the same time, give them that care and support at the home front that they also need. So, right. Uh, it's, it's been a big learning curve, man. So you tough love at two. That's that's your motto, basically. <laughs> Hard knock life at two, like literally. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. I, I want to talk about like what you do, but before that, I, I want to go back to because you mentioned about you know pursuit of happiness movie. I do remember that movie, and it was extremely emotional. I know the scene you're talking about because that. I think I had a thug tear as well um, on that part. And I'm, you know, wasn't even close. I'm not still not close to being a dad, but I just felt the emotion in that scene, especially knowing that it was based on a true story and all of that. But what exactly, what was the weight of that being that, you know, you were um, a father to be at that time, what was the weight that came upon you? Because I think that's one thing that I want to, uh, I like to explore 
uh, with the people that I interview about that moment when you're like something switches on where you're like, no, this is this is about to be a, a huge responsibility that I have to endure. Typically in life, I've always been like, you know, I'll, I'll take it what comes. I've you know, mm-hmm. experienced somewhat a, a nice little chunk of loss coming up. And and so the, the spirit of resilience and everything that work out of just my, my faith just allows me to kind of like go and know that I'll, I'll be all right. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, to that dynamic, I think it was just the space of like having to, to be responsible from, for someone mm. in a way that, you know, there was, there's, and for me, there was no relinquishing that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it was just like, at all costs, you, you got to keep going. There's not an option to, if this doesn't work out, you're right. Or, or right. if I don't, you know, if I'm not able to do A, B and C, it, there's no longer an option. Like I, I have to, and there's no, no other space for that to be. So I, I think it just kind of made life very real in, in a really different way compared mm-hmm. to what I experienced to that point. And I was, I was relatively young. I was 25 when my, mm-hmm. when my dad was born. Let's talk about your profession as a social worker, a practice coach or a trainer. Tell me about that. Cause I know we talked offline about what I dealt with before I moved to LA. I was a a supervisor of a clerical staff that we supported the CPS social workers, Child Protective Services down in San Joaquin County. So I'm completely aware of how that works on that end, but I definitely want you to expound about what you uh, your experience is and especially how that equates to fathers specifically. Yeah. So actually a significant piece is really my role is about helping social workers develop their practice as a social worker to engage the family in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. And to, to minimize bias, to minimize prejudice, to minimize their own personal issues and beliefs getting in the way of them being able to help a family. Uh, one of the, I want to say, projects that I also worked on was called, we have a culturally responsive academy where we develop these courses that teach social workers how to engage with working with African-American families or how mm-hmm. to uh, work better with engaging fathers. And so on that one in particular, we recognize that there's a lot of bias that can go into the write-ups or you're dealing with people that you're not familiar with. Social worker feel being highly female-oriented or woman-oriented. The dynamics of being able to work with males, fathers in particular, there's a lot of bias that comes along with that based on people's own personal experiences. And then when you get into the social work field, a lot of times we don't they don't even look for the fathers, right? There's mm. it's almost like, well, the mom says the father's not around. And instead of doing the due diligence or the extra work to actually see if that father, you know, is there connected or whatever, mm-hmm. because the father also comes with a whole nother layer of support for that family. Like his right. side of the family might have some resources that her side of the family might not. So really helping social workers understand, you know, the dynamics that may be getting in them, the, getting in their own way of being able to connect with the father. Sometimes being able to see that, if a father comes in and he's angry, it's purposeful anger. It's not just, you know, he's a, you know, hard, you know, case to deal with. And that's the end of it. No, it's, it's a reason, you know, there. And so being able to listen and having, you know, the space to do that, because it'll be a mom or a woman that comes in and be just as, you know, for lack of a better word, belligerent or upset, mm-hmm. you know, but they will be more understanding in terms of what she presents as opposed mm-hmm. to father may present. So, you know, it's, it overlaps in a lot of different ways because it is a space of like, you know, how are you able to support this family and not just see them as all the negative things that even might come up in a report, you know, I'm sure as y'all may have seen, you know, Mm -hmm. one social worker deals with, you know, a, a, a father or family and they write, you know, they were hard to deal with, they were angered and yada, yada, yada. And, leave it at that and don't truly get into who this person is, why they there or the strengths about how they're showing up. And it just misses out on, a, on another opportunity to really engage that family or that father. And then the next social worker, if they're not doing their due diligence and they just pick up and read that, then they automatically develop these biases about how they want mm. to engage this particular family, what that family will or won't do. And it's like you're doing a disservice because you're not truly seeing them for who they are or their father. 
Right. What do you think is the biggest reason, um, going back to your initial statement about them not engaging the fathers like they engage the mothers, what do you think is the biggest reason for that? I don't think it's like a one-tier thing. I think mm. because you got some social workers who are great at engaging fathers, right? Okay. Because they understand the different dynamics. They, number one, they develop the practice of themselves and how they just engage with people. Mm-hmm. But some of the, the challenges may be, like I said, personal experiences. If you grew up in a home and, and the father was abusive oh. or the father wasn't there, you don't know what that experience is like to even engage. Uh, you don't have the best, you know, uh, dynamics with males in particular, like that goes into it. The system itself, the policies and whatnot, you know, for the, for a good chunk of time haven't been very beneficial for the father. Mm-hmm. For, you know, if, if he wasn't there, if somebody just said he's not there, then that's it. There For a long time, there was no extra policy, extra support from administrative side to be like, okay, you need to do more due diligence in terms of finding this father finding where it's at, even if, and even if they're incarcerated, right? Right. Even if they're incarcerated, they're still entitled to an opportunity to build a relationship and be there for their child and have that relationship. And mm. previously, that was not the case. Mm. So it's personal dynamics as well as even administrative policy type things that have hindered that dynamic. And even from a social space, right? You know, you see a father walking, you know, with a couple of kids. You're going to question, like, what is this man? Why this man got these kids? Hmm. As opposed to, oh, man, dang, look at him. He's doing all right. Like, like, where the mama at? The first question is probably where the mama right. at. Right. And so it's even from a social dynamic. So it's, it's all these different layers that go into those dynamics in, in my point of view. That's crazy that the, the last night when you said where you said a dad could be having his two kids right. and people will question, right. like, where's the mom at? Or maybe even think something... Um, detrimental, like maybe he's kidnapped them or something like that. Like, not that he's just a dad taking care of his children. Mom could be at work. Mom could be anywhere. Doesn't matter. But the fact is, this is the father that's walking with these kids and automatically people have a negative thought process. Man, that's that's crazy. When you talk about the situation where you say wanting the social workers or training the social workers to make sure they do their due diligence in making sure the father is at least incorporated, you know, whether you're trying to find them or looking for them and going that extra step, do you see that it's uh, across all color lines or do you see it more heightened in maybe uh, families of color? Like what is your experience and your field of work? It does take place within all ethnicities, if you will. Mm-hmm. I'm the other challenge for me is like as a coach, I'm kind of a barrier removed, so I don't always get to see some of those more specific dynamics. Especially because I started this role as uh, in the midst of the pandemic, so I actually haven't been in an office space like it's all been. Oh, remote. everything's been remote. Yeah. But, you know, in January, I'll actually be able to go in and maybe see some dynamics. But we we know for the most part, like especially when it comes to black fathers, that the engagement is different a lot of times because the other pieces like if sometimes other fathers, uh, other ethnicities don't even make it to that level, you know, of actually being involved with the system because of positive bias. Right. Uh, because that has an impact, too. Wait, you said positive bias. Right. I think we, we think about bias and we automatically assume it's negative. By you sure. know, bias just means that you there's a level of preference, if you will, for just minimizing it. Sure. Bias can be negative or positive. You walk to mm. a certain situation, you see some people, you automatically feel safe whether or not they're danger or not. Gotcha. Okay. I see what you're saying. It should be a safe environment, you know. Right, like, right. So you say it's it stretches across However, you do see it heightened in in families of color. That's one of the reasons why I tried to dis- create this podcast. We were talking earlier to dispel that myth because I think it is truly mythical that black fathers in particular and are just fathers of color are not the ones, you know, are the ones that are leaving or abandoning their children or what have you, because as a whole, that's not the case. I know I was talking to Javon, who you know, and he was explaining like the black family structure if you look at that dynamic, you see more fathers taking care of their children because of the structure, the way it is culturally, um, as opposed to the latter. And so, but of course, society wants to make it a different situation and paint a different picture, which, and you can tell me if I'm wrong because you're the expert, is why people, social workers may have these prejudices against certain groups of people. 
Well, definitely. I think, you know, the social dynamic, the media, mm-hmm. I think all that really plays a piece in terms of how you engage. Because the other piece is like, if you never engage with the black population, mm-hmm. all the influence that you have comes from TV, comes from media, news or whatnot, then you have a very skewed, you know, perception of the people mm-hmm. that you're even trying to go in and deal with. Let right. alone, you don't even know the cultural nuances of how they're showing up to even understand what they mean when mm-hmm. they give colloquialism about, you know, something that's general, basic to them, mm-hmm. but you take it and perceive it in a different type of way. Right. Yeah. All, all that is very present. And I was kind of going to uh, add this to the piece about how fathers are looked at sometimes because the other piece of time and I, and I experienced this where, but just like the dynamic, because I used to take my daughter everywhere when we mm-hmm. had meetings, if I had rehearsal, like my daughter's always with me because I had a more free, uh, I had a freer schedule than her mom did at the time. That amazement that, oh, wow, you have, you, you, <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's an amazement that at the same time, it's like, do you know what you're doing with, <laughs> with this baby? Mm. Uh, like, you know, all of those dynamics kind of play a piece into it. So it's, it's an interesting dichotomy. And did you do that purposely to show like, no, this is what fathers are doing. This is what black fathers are doing. Honestly, no, I, just, I, I did it off example. I did it, you know, the, the men in my life, like, you know, Chris, you've seen Chris, how he was with his daughters, right? you know, my godfather, you know, these other examples of men in my life who I've always seen, you know, have substantial relationship with kids, with their mm-hmm. kids. And so for me, it was just about, well, this is, this is the way in which I want my daughter to be acclimated into the world. And right. on the side of that, this is what was needed to be done because mom was working. And I'm, I was the type of person, I'm like, I'm not going to stop my life for my child. Like, mm-hmm. I want her to see what I'm doing. Now, now, don't get me wrong, within balance, you know, I learned of that. Course. But of course. for the most part, like, nah, like, you go come. So it was, it was amazing to see how those situations influenced them. So now my daughter's a filmmaker. So we've always pushed for her to be involved in, you know, dance and the arts. And, and she's seen me within rehearsals, she's seen me, you know, all these, even professionally training. So she's seen me in all these different spaces uh, in particular. So now that she's navigating her own life and kind of doing some things, it's it's a real joy to kind of see how she's able to show up. And I know like that experience of what she got to be exposed to was very important for that to be developed. Mm. For me, it's like very much, no, make them a part of it. Make the Ideally, if, if the environments that you're going into can be appropriate, you know, for a kid to maneuver in and kind of see and witness, then it's, it's going to be a very enriching experience. Whenever I see, you know, parents say, you know, kids, they out in the restaurant and it's like, yeah, like they don't know how to act. Nine times of ten because they don't. Mm-hmm. They've never been in that situation enough mm-hmm. to understand what it means to be in that dynamic and know how the behavior needs to shift. My daughter at a very young age would know how to like go into a spot, sit down, da, da, da. you know, and that's also her, her temperament was a part of that too, but it was also because she had a, a lot of exposure to it. And so when we make the kids a part of the experience, then it, it does something in terms of teaching them how to be uh, socialized in that space as well. And just a point of reference for people listening to this podcast, the two people we reference, Javon Johnson is actually Dr. Javon Johnson, who's a professor of African-American studies at UNLV. And Chris Wilson, who you reference, is a community activist there in San Diego. So these are people that, you know, know what they're talking about, um, know what they're doing. And so I just wanted to put that reference out there. I did see your daughter's film. You sent it to me. Oh, yeah, really yeah. dope. Really dope. What made her decide to get into filmmaking? You know what? I put it <laughs> I put as I put it in this film class. <laughs> so, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because I'm like when I grew up, I didn't get a chance to be exposed and have opportunities to, mm. to do even a lot. How to do a lot of the stuff that I'm doing? Like I had church, and so I was right. like, choir, the usher board, <laughs> and then things of that nature, and Christmas plays, Easter speeches. But that was about it. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's been very important to, uh, you know, get her exposed to as much as possible and and see what sticks. And my daughter, she was, she's always, she's been a very avid reader. Like she's been reading like Harry Potter, uh, mm-hmm. other novels and everything. Like, you know, 400 pages. I mean, like at 12, 13, like she's reading like 400 pages. I'm like, baby, baby, you, you, gee, cause your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so 
and getting to talk to her and see how her imagination goes and mm-hmm. stories like she's she's very much a, a visionary in her own way and so uh put her in this documentary class and she really enjoyed it and so and was like willing and, and eager to show up it was another it was a narrative film class like a year later and so we put mm-hmm. it in there and then that's when she did that film now she's actually doing another one right now. They just filmed this past weekend. So, and it's turning out even better than that one did. So, but it was just that like wanting to like push her and like, give her opportunity to expose so she could actually choose and see, you know, what she did. She's done dance. She, she loves to sing, but she hasn't jumped on that quite yet. But I'm getting mm. to the studio tonight, actually. Oh, that's fresh. That's fresh. Yeah. And then she's doing it. She does a podcast called This Teenage Life. I think she found it and then realized like the people that did it were actually, they had some folks from her school. Oh, okay. She reached out to him and got connected, and now she's doing that. She just wrote a a, a piece that's supposed to go uh, in Teen Vogue. Really? Like, yeah. Like, my, my, yo, my daughter is living her life. She's <laughs> her best life, <laughs> right? She's doing her thing, and I'm I'm just so proud of her, just in terms of how she she's growing and uh, pushes me to grow and mm-hmm. challenges me to to show up and 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 do things a little bit differently too. I like how you say that. Um, there was another guest I had, I can't remember off top his name, but he said, just like you said, that his child or his children have pushed him to grow. And I think that's uh, hugely important um, that you can say that because your children can do that for you. Um, and to accept that, um, there's sometimes that you may not have the right answer and you have to you know, figure that part out. But ultimately, your children can help you um, further who you are as a parent. And I think that's really dope to to really look at that and to recognize that. It was a situation that happened one time where I think me and her went to the store. Sometimes childhood trauma, sometimes just straight upbringing. And so we went to the store and she asked for something. It was like, And I was like, no. And the only part that really made, that really triggered in me was just as a kid, <laughs> whenever we went to the store, mom said no. Right. right? Now, my mama's situation, she probably didn't have the money. I had two other siblings. If she get one, she got it. Like, mm-hmm. there's probably a lot more that went into that no as opposed to just no. Mm. So me and her mom had talked about it. She was like, why? And honestly, I really didn't even have, like, a legit answer for it. It was just like, I said no. Like, <laughs> no. And so it really made me think about some of the, even when it comes to, like, even something like that, like, I could have got my baby a piece of gum or whatever that she wanted, and it wouldn't have been a big thing. Like, you know, it wouldn't have stretched the pockets that much or whatnot. So in those moments, like when we take the time to actually kind of think about our actions and how we're showing up and why we're doing what we're doing, uh, like if you got a legit reason, like you just know and you didn't want to have the cannon cool. But mm-hmm. at that moment, I didn't have any of those things that truly warranted me even. So it really made me think twice about even how I'm engaging different things and whatnot too so interesting so when you were talking about your your daughter's situation with the store do you think that oftentimes as parents you end up doing things because you did reference your mother and how she would just say these things for whatever reason but you're just following suit do you think do you find yourself doing that often in your parenting there have definitely been times uh when when i caught myself or recognized that I didn't I didn't have like a real substantial reason for doing it other than this was just how I've been done and know to do it. Mm. And so into that piece, it there's there's a learning curve that that comes that I think challenges us as a, adults or parents mm-hmm. to really get it home in hone in on like why we do things or, or what you know our parenting philosophy is. Why do we do it that way? Why do we choose to do it that way? Uh, and to question it in, in sometimes because the way that we feel we need to do it isn't because we chose. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's because that's all we know. We didn't learn anything different. Like even when we think about uh, discipline, right? Mm-hmm. Part of that class that we ended up teaching about, you know, engaging African-American families was the dynamic of discipline in terms of meetings and how, you know, the, the connection to uh, slavery and mm-hmm. that form of discipline, you know, and whatnot. And so when you think about it in the church, they'd be quick to say, spare the child, spare, spare the rod, spare the child. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But the other piece that happened for me with my daughter that was different was I grew up, I didn't say much. 
you know, because mm-hmm. the culture of the time was kids to be seen, not heard. And I can't tell you how many times growing up as a young man, as a boy, where I didn't know how to speak up for myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to ask the right questions. I, I didn't mm-hmm. feel my comfortable enough doing that because I didn't get opportunities to exercise my voice. So even in, in things like that, recognizing that for me, I think part of the role as a parent is to also coach our children in terms of how do we navigate the world, right? right. How do we deal with it? How do we process our emotions? How do we speak up for ourselves? How do we make mm-hmm. decisions? And that doesn't come from just, you know, this is who I tell you to be and you go out into the world and do it. Right. I'm, I'm a firm advocate in terms of like, talk through scenarios to give your kids an opportunity to kind of think about what they would do before mm-hmm. they get tossed in that scenario. Mm. As we'll say all day, you know, think for yourself, be your own person. But what does that look like when you with the people who are your closest friends who seem to have the best interest for you, but might be doing something that you know that you probably shouldn't do, right? And then you have to think, right. about, will they want to be friends with me after? Like, that's a tough, you know, component to have to deal with. And we pretty much all on some level had to go through some dynamics of that. So I think it's important that we we also kind of present opportunities to kind of talk through if this is who you say you want to be, what does that look like? Right. right. And we talk through what those experiences can be and the challenges of it. So because it's not as simple as I think we would like it to be. No, I, I think that's a great response to that. I do want to talk about your upbringing and you kind of briefly mentioned earlier about your father. Can you talk about that and, and how that dynamic was growing up? So this is a very interesting fatherhood story because Myron Dow, who I'm named after, was the father that I knew up until 12. He passed away uh, due to diabetes. Overall, great guy for the most part. He was into electronics, you know, like we used to fix scooters. Like he had his scooter, I had my scooter, you know what I'm saying? So that example was in terms of the ingenuity. So I think part of my creativity fostered in that particular space as opposed to artistically because that's what I was exposed to. Mechanic, he worked on cars all the time. I didn't get that part. So that was that. But the other component was he was also unfaithful to my mom. And so that was another challenging space to kind of deal with even after he passed. So he passed away when I was 12. So then my mom, she ended up remarried. And this particular dude, Don, he wasn't the most child-centric partner, right? And nor did he show up in in ways that I felt like a man should in terms of providing for the family, in terms Mm -hmm. of even taking care of my mom. Like my mom still brought, did most of the work and yada, yada. So much so that even as an adult, when I got into the the, uh, military, at one point, you know, I'm sending money back home and, you know, I'm like, this dude is not even like, if he going to be in the house and I'm paying rent, you need to get up out. Like, right. I'm not feeling that. So fast forward, my mom comes out here to visit me and um, she tells me uh, basically that the dad that I knew was not my father. The one that passed away. Yeah. And so oh, wow. I'm like 23, 24, and I'm just now getting this piece of information. Wow. And she also tells me that, you know, he passed, the, the father, biological father, passed away uh, like a year after Myron did, the father that I knew growing up. Uh-huh. So it just really kind of swept like the foundation from under me in terms of that dynamic. I think that space of knowing who I was as a person, uh-huh. what that all was supposed to be. So when it comes to father, like that dynamic is there. But I will say I was very fortunate because I had a, a great grandfather who was very, very much there and very much a, an example mm-hmm. of, you know, being there, had a couple uncles. And then for me, probably some of the biggest uh, influences were the men at my my church, as well as the men of my friends, my friends' fathers. Because I got to see these examples of men who were there with their families, the men who took care of their families, who right. showed up, uh, you know, that you know, fought for their families that were there as a part of this community. And so I had, I also had all these examples of men who were family oriented, who, you know, were there and they connected, active in their children's lives. And, you know, I feel like I, I was blessed in the space where I had all these great examples of men outside of my own, maybe family dynamic, where I still see examples of what it looked like. So, so literally a community raising yeah. you. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. I'm glad you had that, um, despite what the situation was with your, yeah. you know, your father. Did your mom ever tell you why she kept that from you? 
You know what? Those years? I'm not even sure if I even really asked. I think oh, when really? I could see the fact that, and maybe this is my empathy and also just the dynamic of me being close to my mom. Just feeling like, you know, knowing the certain level of pain that she's went through in certain dynamics and just, you know, like I knew we talked about the dynamic of the guy that she ended up marrying done. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. why did you? And it was just that space of maybe not feeling like, you know, she didn't want to be lonely or mm-hmm. whatever. And it was like, cause this dude is not doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's not. And so I think when it comes to the biological father dynamic, I think it was just, I'm not sure if I wanted to open up, you know, any wounds or that mm. was any more than she had already kind of dealt with. Right. Uh, in fact, that she did hold it for so many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think about probably about four, three years ago, I went home to Dallas. That's where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, actually had a conversation about a little bit more. You know, I probed a little bit more. I, I don't think I asked that question in particular. You're, you're talking about with your mom? Yeah, with my Oh, okay. mom and so we you know i, I kind of you know digged in a little bit more for, for some more answers and a little mm-hmm. bit more information about him and everything but i just didn't ask that question because i think a part of me just was like i I, th- I felt like i knew uh yeah mm-hmm. like it is i'm asking now but right <laughs> but uh, <laughs> recognizing that like I, I can only imagine what she was holding to hold that because me and my mom are actually pretty pretty right. tight uh mm-hmm. and we must talk about anything so the fact that she gotcha. had that, I, I felt like that was like a real weight that she felt like she, you know. The fact that it, she didn't tell you, there was something yeah. that was having you, having her hold that because of you being close. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's an interesting story. Yeah. And I'm glad that you had the community, like you said, that the, the people, your friends, fathers, and the people in your church and, and uh, some of your other relatives, how did that affect, if any, how you are as a father to your own daughter? Number one, I think. I try to be present as and connected as possible. I try to make sure that, you know, we can talk and um, it's a space for her that she knows I'm here, right? Mm-hmm. She, she knows that the engagement is going to be there. Just having those examples, man, I think it just really helped because it also allowed me to see the different variations of what it could look like. And me being who I am, it allowed me the space to recognize that, you know, I can be the type of father that I want to be. And then just having, like, like I said, uh, as an adult, like my godfather out here, uh, Papa Curry, like this family just kind of adopted me as a young sailor going mm-hmm. to church and this kind of pulled me in, but it also helped me tap into another st- string of fathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and mind you, not always perfect people, right? Not not always having made the right decisions or done the right thing, but they were men who were growing, evolving. Let me know that the journey is a journey and is going to continue to shift in how you you know, may show up, you know, with your family, with your woman and all these different things. So I think I'm very fortunate in terms of, and insightful enough to have keyed in on this, because I think sometimes we get so fixated in terms of like, it doesn't look a certain way, right? You know, I don't have a father, my father's not here, and damn all these other examples of manhood that I might have that I might be able Mm -hmm. to connect with, you're not my father. But I think for me, just really being able to appreciate, like, I have men who I could go to and talk to, flush out feelings, flush out thoughts, get perspectives and, and all these other things, or who might be able to call me in and be like, yo, right. what's up with you? What's, what's going on? And I think the other piece, like I said, even have, Chris has probably been one of the biggest influences, I don't even think he noticed, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> my because I got to see, like, you know, we've been great friends for, like, you know, 15 plus years now, maybe mm-hmm. even longer, but I can see up close, you know, this man, you know, how he shows up in that role with, with his daughter and being in the community and being a part of the art world and his profession mm-hmm. and all these different dynamics. So I, I got to see what that looked like, like up close and, and you know, support him through it and, you know, and, and vice versa now, like he's been able to kind of help me process some of my toughest moments as it relates to, you know, like me and my daughter's mom, we, we were married and we uh, separated in 2015. And so, you know, even being able to kind of go through that and have someone to kind of lean on and process and, and reaffirm that, like, do what you need to do to make sure you're part of your child's life. Right. Right. And at, at all costs and whatnot, and not give into whatever feelings that I might be getting with as it relates to her mom at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that there was bonds. So, 
in that regard, I just I just feel real fortunate that I've had some great examples and some great connections of men who can been able to support me through my journey. Oh, that's dope. What what made you get into um, the military? I didn't have no other choice, and well, I ain't gonna say I had no choice, but I I'm the first person in my family to go to college. Okay. So I didn't have examples of what he was to do next. And mind you, I was a smart kid. Like I went to a, a magnet school for science and engineering. Okay. Matter of fact, the school I went to was a college prep school. It's one of the top top top, top college uh, top college prep school. We didn't even have sports. That's how much about education we was in. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have sports, but uh, the science Olympics. <laughs> right, exactly. I was a part of the Olympiad. <laughs> right. But no, I, I just you know I didn't know what that angle was, and I, I one of my my good buddies Desmond, he was gun ho about going to the Navy because he wanted to be a Navy SEAL, and mm-hmm. so. I went down to the recruiting station, you know, we hanging out and he was going down there and I went down to the recruiting station and I guess they say representation matters. All the people were black and they was cool. Like, I, thank God that this ended up being a cool decision for me because yeah. the only basis that I had was like, they all black, they all cool. It can't be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was literally my logic at the time. You know, the vibes is real. And so mm-hmm. when I took the test, I did very good on the ASVAB test. Mm-hmm. They want to be like a, a nuclear technician on like a submarine. Okay. I was like, nah, I'm, I don't even know how to swim. I'm not going under the water. <laughs> so, and so the next one under was a radar technician. So they signed me up and it was like, defer, you'll be in school for like a good year and a half, two years before you mm-hmm. would see a ship. I was like, oh, cool. Let's, let's do that. So I went in and I did that, you know, went through that whole challenging growth space. And so... Ended up happening in my last three years when I was doing my short duty, I was able to be a substance abuse counselor because I think what I realized was working with machines wasn't my thing. I prefer working with people. And so once I made that transition, it it was it was a wrap. Like that was, I knew that I was supposed to be working with people. And, and that was actually, I started bringing in my poetry in a workshop. So for me, it's always been like this in-between space of bridging mental health and the arts. So mm. it just kind of led me on that path. That's word. Yeah. Well, um, Veterans Day was just this past Thursday. So happy belated Veterans Day um, as a fellow veteran. I don't want to say that <laughs> mine was because <laughs> I saw a black. My mom was like, you got to go. Um, <laughs> but it was only because I was I was going to Morehouse at the time. And I was you know, I was also a gifted kid, but I didn't. I was lazy. Right. That was my problem. So I didn't get like scholarships like I should have. And I didn't prepare myself for whatever reason. I thought if you get accepted to college, that's it. You good. Right. And no, that does not mean anything. You still got to pay. <laughs> so <laughs> I told you, man, I was I was naive and lazy. Bad combination. But anyway, I went for a semester and then, you know, came back, of course, with the out-of-state fees and everything in my family. Didn't have a lot of money at that time. My mom was like, yo, if you want to go to keep going to school there, you got to help pay for it another way because what we have going right now, it's not working. So she came up with the idea of the military. And so then I went, saw a recruiter and they said, oh yeah, you can just take a semester off and join the reserves okay. and then go back to school as a reservist and then you'd be good. So that was the plan. So that's why I ended up joining. What was your rate? I ended up getting out as an E4, so specialist. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I got up, I didn't get into being a sergeant or anything like that in the army, but oh, um, okay. yeah, I was in the army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So E4 specialist, what they call them. Uh, I was a field medic, so I was in the medic medic situation. And let me tell you how bad it was for me. Like I had no concept. I'm like, man, I just want to be a cook. Like <laughs> I'm thinking, like I can make I make burritos at home. Like I'm, I'm I do this spaghetti. Like put me as a cook. I'm telling you, like oblivious, my guy. I'm so oblivious. And the recruiter is like, bro, you don't want to be a cook. And he's like, and this was after I took the ASVAB test, so I scored really high. He's like. You scored too high to be a cook, bro. That's you're not gonna be a cook. Like, and you don't want to be a cook anyway, because you're just gonna be washing pants and pans like all day. Like, yeah. I had no concept, bro. Yeah, I know yeah, I'm yeah. super naive. Yeah, man. I'm. Yeah. Anyway, um, but it was it ended up being a good experience. I was in there for eight years total, wow. and so got money for school and, yeah. and got up out of there. And um, you know, to this day, it's still a, a an experience that I cherish yeah, for yeah. sure. So it ended up being positive overall, but. Yeah, man, it's interesting how people, that's why I ask, because it's interesting yeah. how people get into the military. Um, there's different ways. And and it was, the, the money for school was another, like, very mm-hmm. added, added piece, but right. the vibes is real. 
For sure. For sure. When you talk about, you know, being a black man, not only being a black father, but just being a black man in the country and you having a raising a daughter, how important uh, does race become, you know, in that factor? Man, I can't wait to see King Richard. <laughs> right. Yes. Same yeah. here, bro. So like, so to that point, like my daughter's in these film classes, right? And, you know, I think this last session, like, and, and we're in San Diego, so it's not a lot of, you know, black people in these roles. And so really having to, you know, support and coach her through dealing with these feelings and through, through these people who aren't used to dealing with a, a young, brilliant chocolate child, it's a very real big piece to that, to that development of, of what she's going to have to deal with, with the world on a certain degree. Um, so how do mm-hmm. I support her through that and whatnot? give her the confidence to know that, yo, these people don't know you like that. You know, they, they might think you, you know, willy foo whatever, but you got You still got to come with it and you got to let them know. Mm-hmm. And so that piece right there has been like a very, like, I don't even know how to describe it, man. Like the fact that you have to tell your daughter or to tell your child that to basically don't let these views of you or, or, you know, some of these actions, you know, wither, wither you mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of push it. And then, you know, figuring like when you got to figure out when you got to step in, cause that was like a dynamic that we had to do in the last class because the dude wasn't like truly engaging. And then in, in a way that was, I think most beneficial, we ended up seeing some dynamics. He was, he was pretty consistent. He, he, he gave to everybody, but at mm-hmm. the same time it was like, bro, you, you're not, truly seeing her in terms of the vision that, that she has. And so it's also right. this piece about, you know, when you have to, like, I think that space where you see Black storytellers and, you know, filmmakers and whatnot, are telling, we give a different lens of the stories that we tell because if we have a different experience of it, it doesn't always look like the conflict that you think. And so I think in this previous film, like, that was a dynamic. They were trying to get her to make the characters have conflict with each other. And she didn't want them to have conflict with each other. Like mm. she wanted the conflict to be this external thing and whatnot. So really trying to help support her and to make sure that you stick to your guns. And just because somebody questions something doesn't mean you need to change, right? right. You stick to what you know you need and want to do. So it's it's a it's an interesting space. My daughter amazes me too because she's very like socially conscious mm-hmm. in terms of you know she led like a Black Lives Matter you know, Q&A at her school. Now, mind you, it's in California. Like, she goes to, it was a great school, and it's only a handful of black kids. Mm. Um, and so, but she's also in a space where she's very much a leader, and she's confident enough to have these conversations, to speak up in this space, to talk about these things, to speak when she doesn't feel, you know, she's been, uh, when she's been done unjustly. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a different lens. It's a different, like, toll in terms of, like, the pain you hold as a parent mm-hmm. because you can't always protect your child from what the world brings. And so, like I said, like sometimes the the only thing we can really do to offset that is how do we prepare her to navigate the world so that she can be confident in who she is and she can process and be her, and we can be her support for when she's dealing with a world that doesn't value her in the same way that we do. Yeah. That's uh that's heavy. That's heavy, but I think it's it's dope that you recognize that and can help her in navigating that for sure. And you mentioned the movie King Richard. That's such a yeah. man. I can't wait to see that as well. Just seeing you know a, a black man who had these black daughters right. and put them in the. T- I mean, just knowing what I know of Venus and Serena. Serena right. Excuse me, <clears throat> Venus and Serena Williams' story, right. but seeing it brought to life in that and seeing that the focus of the story is the dad. Right. I think that's what to me. Yeah. Seeing that viewpoint, I think is super dope, especially with what I've learned doing this podcast, yeah. um, centered around fathers of color, you know, and having daughters and how they navigate the world with them and through them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's super dope. Yeah. Super dope. 
Real quick, before we go into the last portion of the interview, we got sponsors, ladies and gentlemen. That's how we're doing in season three. Um, sponsor for this episode is Crown Beauty Essentials. It is the number one system for growing healthy hair. You can reach them or get at them at crownbeautyessentials.com. Again, that's crownbeautyessentials.com. You can check out their website for all your needs. And also, if you want to check them out on Instagram, they're at crownbeautyessentials on Instagram. So yeah, let's, uh, last question I have, and I typically ask this of all my guests is what advice would you give, uh, to any upcoming father? Um, you know, someone that is expecting or just someone like myself that wants to be a father someday, what advice would you give? I know probably starting off with be there. And I think sometimes we forget how important the presence can be, even if we can't maybe provide all the things we would like to provide. Right. Uh, one thing, at least I noticed in this, in this work. You know, kids who come from like some of the most challenging home, you know, even abusive experience, they still want the connection with their fathers. Mm -hmm. They still want that dynamic. And so whatever you can do to be there is very real. Uh, whatever you can do to really, I want to say, heal from your own challenges that you came up with, those dynamics that, that, that you had from not having a father or the, having the type of father that you did have or parents or family, whatever, whatever you can do to heal from that will only aid them in their journey or whatnot. And then this was something actually I learned, I don't say I learned, but something that her mother brought up to me when when we were married versus when we separated was mm -hmm. a dynamic where she felt like I was probably more present once we separated than I was when I was in the house. Mm. Part of me has to like really just look at that because now due to the fact that I'm not just in the house, it's not a, a dynamic I could take for granted. So when I am spending time, I don't know, I'm a lot more present, a lot more conscious about that space. Mm -hmm. It was just being like, I'm home, my daughter's over here, I'm looking at TV, yada, yada, yada. Like mm -hmm. it's, you know, so the presence is, is a thing, but how can you make sure that you're also being very present in those spaces mm -hmm. is also important too. So. I'll say that whatever you can do to, to actually be present is very much a key component uh, to how they're able to receive and depending on who you are, like showing love, whatever capacity you build uh, in terms of uh, engaging with, with your child. Uh, one of the biggest things I think I've recognized is how we react to stuff. We we'll do, can do more damage than choosing to do something, right? Because it's like when they come to you with some of these things and you might feel some type of like if your, you know, child needs to come to you and they maybe, they, you know, they need to talk about sex. or they need to talk about like if that's not a safe space where they feel like they then they won't come to you mm. and you'll be in this space of wondering what am I to do or what's going on as opposed to having created a space where, hey, you know, daddy might not be happy, but I want you to tell me like, mm -hmm. like, like, let's let's get it out. So. I think for me, those are some of the things that, that come up. And I think the other piece is being very mindful of what we expose our, our children to. There's so many situations or times when, you know, as, as kids, we hear it today, as, you know, grown men who come out when they have these like, sexual experiences with, you know, or even family, like it's typically somebody close to the house and, and all these other things. So even in terms of our protecting our kids, be willing to truly listen to our kids, be willing to protect them from even, you know, any and everybody around and make sure that they can be safe as possible and all those things. So off the cuff, those those are the things that, that kind of come up for me, man. Word. No, that's good. That's really good. Ladies and gentlemen, Kendrick Dial. You know it. Um, I appreciate um you know, all your insight, everything, especially with your profession. I really, um, I'm glad you kind of put that out there because I know that that's something you have firsthand knowledge, you know, when you're dealing in the yeah, social yeah, work yeah. field. And like I told you, dealing with CPS, even though I was indirect in my dealings, but still seeing like what people go through and seeing how important it is basically to make sure that you are giving the overall view, you know, having both parents involved and making sure that you're trying to, you know, because Obviously, the nucleus, the the family, a child um, is most supportive if they have both their parents. I mean, that's just what it yeah. is. I mean, and whatever that looks like. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, obviously, if one parent is is faulty, then, of course, you know, you have to make do uh, make those decisions. But if both parents are healthy and doing it's just the better situation is to have both parents if it's possible. So appreciate your insight. Before I let you go, I want you to give any shout outs um, to anything regarding anything you may have coming up with your man or anything like that. Anything your daughter is doing. And shout that out as well, because she's doing all the things. Right. Yes, she is. No, like I said, she, she's on a podcast called This Teenage Life. And it's a group of different people from all over, uh, young girls from all over the world. Molly, who kind of puts it together, she'll take different voices from different conversations and put them together. Mm -hmm. She's on that. Like, she's working on this film. Like, it's so dope to see her imagination at work. Like, she, and, and like, it's really impactful stuff. Like, she's talking about Henrietta Lacks. And really? Healing Blood. And like, yo, I'm so excited for this film. <laughs> Uh, wow. and, and the cool piece is like, I'm hoping she let me do the music again because I got to do the music in the last one. So it's it's this coolest space where we get to kind of collaborate and kind of talk to these creative spaces. Uh -huh. But that, uh, I'm working on a new album, new Lyrical Groove album. I'm probably uh, definitely going to do a solo album and as well this this coming year. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I did want to add this one little piece uh, just from sure. the therapeutic side of things. A lot of times when kids are misbehaving, mis misacting or whatever, and like, and they get sent to therapy or whatever. I always say kids are often a symptom of the family issue. Typically, if the kid is, and don't get me wrong, everybody, everybody might not follow in this, but a, a good majority in, in my perspective, that if the kids are responding the way they are, it's the dynamics with the family. So be it the mom, the dad, whoever, that are also presenting themselves in certain ways, some things that are, that are happening to make the kid respond in that way. So, and, and at some point it gets to the point where now the behaviors of the kid may take on their own dynamic, but oftentimes it's, it's related to a family dynamic. So as parents being willing to look at how we showing up in this space right, is also very important. No, that's key. That is very key. Thank you for that bit of information. Yeah, man. All good. Make sure you check all the things that are going on. We're not even part of the movie, but we're shouting out King Richard because that's just going to be a dope movie. <laughs> we're watching out. We have no connection to it whatsoever. Maybe we can change it. <laughs> we just give it a shout out because I think it's going to be dope to celebrate uh, Fathers of Color. But uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, this is Lynn Gonzalez, a.k.a. Saint. And until we speak again, God bless and take care. Colors of Fatherhood is produced by Josh Rodriguez and St. Lee Productions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share with all your family and friends. Please remember to follow us on social media at Stay on the Mic and at Colors of Fatherhood. And for all your booking needs, please visit www.stayonthemic.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next episode.